So um, I have faith for it. I believe it. But I think it's good that we do at least read the passage and give you something to reflect on. I do think there's something in here that God wants us to hear. Um, and so turn with me to Acts chapter 5. We're going to verse 17. We're reading a, a longer passage this morning, verse 17 to 42. And um, after this morning, we can take a little pause with the book of Acts for about six weeks. We're going to do some site-specific preaching and some other little topics, and we'll get back here. But uh, despite that break, I think what God is saying in this passage has to still apply. And so with all that God is saying this morning, with all that God is doing this morning, I think this will be a good mandate for us to take leading into this coming week and the next few weeks. Uh, so if you're all there, Acts chapter 5, verse 17 to 42, I'm going to make a few comments as we go along. And I, I think it's a key um, challenge God wants to give us this morning from his word. So let's get straight to it. Verse 17. Uh, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that's the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life and when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to preach, uh, to teach. Let's pause it there for a moment. If you've ever wondered what is the mandate or the call of the church, it is being confirmed in this opening passage. Um, if you've ever wondered what, 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 what we are supposed to be doing, we see it here. We see that the apostles are arrested. So this is not just Peter and John. And we see that they're put into this public jail, different to the one they were in before. But we see that God wants to free them, and he miraculously does that. He sends this angel, and he frees them. And I want you to imagine if this was you for a moment. Imagine you were preaching God's word, and you got arrested, and you were thrown into a jail. And overnight, this angel comes and frees you. What would you do next? I'm wondering, what would I be doing next? And I think for many of us, we would find the closest hideout. We would try and hide away from the authorities, from the persecution, from those who are after us. We might even cease doing what got us in trouble. Do you do that? I know you do. Because when you jump that stop street and the cop pulls you over that one time and gives you the fine, you stop at that stop street thereafter for many months to come. When you are caught for something you've done, you try and not do it again. Um, but I wonder what, what we would do. What do you think God would have said when he sees his apostles arrested and now he's freed them? Do you think God would say, guys, this is getting serious now. The heat is on. And we're under pressure, let's, let's just give these apostles a break. Let's just put them on the lowdown for a bit. Do you think that is what God would have said to them? Well, the answer profoundly is no. No. The church's call back then and the church's call still today is to preach the gospel. Tell the city, tell the surrounding regions, tell the surrounding nations about Jesus. Keep preaching. And the angel says to them, go back to the temple, the very place you got arrested. Go back there and keep preaching. Keep preaching the word of life. Keep preaching what you've been asked to do. The church knew that they were made to fish. This is what we were made for. Jesus created in us to become fishers of people. We are made to fish and we are commissioned to go. That is the mandate. That is the call. So God doesn't free them so that they could have freedom God frees them so they could keep doing what he's commanded them to do, and that's to preach. Keep preaching the gospel. Don't hold back. Don't be caught, caught up by their threats. Don't shy away in fear. Don't find a place to hide away. Jesus doesn't let them off and say, be gone. He says, no, keep going. Keep preaching. 
Let's keep reading. It then says, Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. You could try and work out that miracle for yourself, but a miracle happened. We don't know how. All the details, we don't know, but we know that they were in prison one moment and they're out of prison the next, and that next morning we'll know where they're going to be now. Verse 24. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. But then someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. I love that obedience. The angel just told them the night before, I'm freeing you. Don't go hide away. Go back to the temple and keep preaching Jesus. Next morning, where were they? In the temple, preaching Jesus. Probably knowing what was going to come of them preaching Jesus in that same temple. Um, but there they were. Uh, which verse am I at now? Oh, there we go. Verse 26. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force. They were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They remind the apostles, didn't you hear our command? Didn't you hear what we commanded you to do? The world will tell us this from time to time. Listen to what I'm commanding you to do. But I love what it says here. It says, they pronounce this. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Don't you love that? The very accusation that the authorities, that the accusers are bringing against the church is the testimony that they get to hold. We often, we often joke with evangelists, and evangelists won't mind me making this joke because they've heard it a number of times. We often joke that evangelists aren't great with maths. Because if you ask them how many people were at the event, they'll say thousands. Thousands were there, but there were hundreds, Right? Um, how many people got saved? Like everybody got saved. And there was a good lot of people, but it wasn't everybody. When guys come back from Kenya, they say all of Kenya is doing really well. All of Kenya? Did you go to all of Kenya? Are you sure all of Kenya is doing well? We joke that evangelists can exaggerate. These were not the disciples um, exaggerating. They weren't saying, yo, yo, all of Jerusalem has been preached to you. All of Jerusalem's here in the message. This was the accuser. The accusers were telling the testimony of what the church was doing. You have filled the whole of Jerusalem with your message. They must have thought, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Accuse us even more. What else have we done that's good and that is obedient? But I love it that the accuser is highlighting the testimony of the church. You have gone and filled the word throughout there. And um, it's, 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 it's what we're still called to do. It's what we still need to be doing. Um, I've lost my spot there. There we go. Verse 29. Let's keep reading. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Um. The response here that the church gives, the apostles give, is the exact same response that Peter and John give when they were first arrested. They're, they're, they're posed with these two clear commands. We told you not to preach Jesus. 
But they also know the other command that they've received, where Jesus himself says, go and make disciples of all nations. This is where they stand. Two clear commands stand before them. And their options are, are, are simple. Either we listen to the world and to man and we stop teaching Jesus, or we listen to this King Jesus and we keep preaching the gospel. The church, they clearly know what they are called to do. They know it. They know they've been told, keep preaching Jesus. And so they do. For them, there is no option. This is their obedience to God. And what's amazing is the angel confirms that this is what they're supposed to do. And the angel frees him. He says, you know what you need to keep doing? Keep preaching Jesus. The signs and wonders that are taking place miraculously are showing that they are doing what is right. Miracles are happening. People are being saved. The crippled people are walking. Men are being freed out of prison just like that. And the signs are happening because they are preaching the name of Jesus. And the multitudes coming to salvation is confirmation that what they're doing is in obedience and is right. Because many hearts of men and women are coming to Jesus. They know without a doubt there's, there's two commands, but only one is, is, is the one that's worth following. There's only one that is of truth. There's one that is of life. And I love what verse 32 says. It says, we are witnesses to this, but so is the Holy Spirit given to those who obey him. I love that we see the Holy Spirit, he plays such a massive and integral role in seeing the name of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus being preached to all regions, the Holy Spirit will play a massive role. But what I love with this is that I almost imagine he looks at you and me and the Spirit says, I want to see that Jesus will be proclaimed everywhere. And I want to see Jesus being glorified. And then if you and I say, well, I want to see the name of Jesus being preached everywhere. And I want to see Jesus being glorified. I'm telling you now, the Spirit looks at you and me and says, well, then I can work with you. Can I use you? I can empower you. I've got gifts that I can do through you because we both want the same thing. The Holy Spirit longs to see Jesus being pronounced and declared. The Holy Spirit longs to be a witness of Jesus. And then he says, for those who are obedient to the command of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations, says he will come to us. And he will work with us and alongside us and lead us and guide us. You're not alone, church. You are not alone. But God himself, by his Holy Spirit, who gives gifts and anointings and fruit and empowering and miracles and signs and wonders and vision and prophecy and boldness to speak, he will give you all of that because you want the very thing that he is all about. Seeing that Jesus is preached and that Jesus is glorified. If you want that, I'm telling you now, the Spirit is looking at you and saying, can I come and work with you? Can I do this in you? And I'm telling you now, you and I would say, oh Lord, here I am. Use me, send me, let's keep going. Our heart at this moment has to be what the church keeps doing. Lord, enable us with more of your spirit. Enable us, Lord, with more of him. The spirit is with us. He's leading us. This morning is with us. But he wants to do so many great things through us. As long as we choose to continue to obey, Lord, we keep with your word. Let's read verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged. They wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up, rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. 
So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Gamaliel is this um, respectable teacher of this time. In fact, he is one who is raising a Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul is under his teaching. And Gamaliel is right and wrong in what he says. He's right in that he says that if this is of God, nothing can stop it. If this and what the church is doing is of God, if they're operating in obedience to God, then it cannot be stopped. The world, the devil, the surprises of life, pandemics, cannot stop God's plan from being done. There's nothing we could do. But he's wrong in the way he tries to be politically correct. In the way he tries to have this attitude of let's wait and see. He says, well, let's wait and see what comes of this. You see, Gamaliel, he's already seen what's been taking place in Jerusalem. He's heard the gospel being preached. He knows the tomb is empty. He knows what those guards declared. He knows that there was a crippled man who's now walking. He knows that the prisoners were in jail, but now they're not. And he should have known that Jesus is the Son of God. And instead of saying, let's be politically correct about how we approach this, he should have said to those leaders, we've got this wrong. He is the Son of God. But his heart was still hard. Let's keep reading. They took his advice and when they had called the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, they, they being the, um, the, the apostles, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They did not cease teaching and preaching. You see how the persecution's intensifying? It started for threats. It then became imprisonment. It's now become beatings, which was quite harsh. It would have been, uh, been whipped, possibly 40 minus 1. 40 was declared a death penalty. So minus 1 was seen to be more lenient. Don't know how that works. And eventually that persecution is going to even lead to death. But look at the response of the apostles. They rejoice. They rejoice, and you might be thinking they're mad. They've gone insane. How can you rejoice at just being whipped? How can you rejoice at being imprisoned? Well, they remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5 when he preached on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this in verse 10. Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Despite all that happened there, despite the threats, despite the whip, despite um, being thrown in, in prison, despite all of it, the disciples looked and said, Lord, you've commanded us. And even despite the whipping, you say, even then, Lord, we are to rejoice for there's reward for us remaining obedience. And I love it that as they left, they remain obedient. They keep meeting again in the temple. It's like you cannot keep us out. God's commanded us until he says different. We keep going. We keep going. And then even then, they found ways to meet in homes, in different capacities. Our hearts have been tested during COVID because many of us won't meet because, well, we don't want to come to an auditorium. But we're saying, but there's ways to meet, going to homes. This afternoon at one o'clock, guys are going to the park, just opposite Park Meadows, to go and meet, to go and feed some of the hungry and the poor and to go and pray. 
if you want to go, go and meet Clint afterwards. He's, I think he's going. But there's a team going. But there's parks, there's homes, there's malls, there's coffee shops, there's ways that the church can meet. And the ways that the church can keep doing the very thing God has asked you and me to do. Let us not cease preaching Jesus because of COVID. Let us not cease to preach Jesus because authorities say we're restricted to 50. Let us not cease to preach Jesus because of our time, because we're tired, because we're not well, because our finances are wrong, because our dreams and our plans of going overseas have ceased. Do not let anything seize you and me from preaching Jesus. Because if we do, you're allowing the enemy to stop us being the church we're called to be. We're allowing the, we're allowing the enemies to, to, to cause us to walk in disobedience. But obedience is, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to end with this. I'm going to take four more minutes. Is I felt a challenge in reading this passage this week. This question challenged me. And the question was, how do I value the gospel? How do you value the gospel? Um, How much is the gospel worth to you and how much is it to me? And before we value something, you need to know what it is what it is you have before you can value it. So very quickly, imagine a piece of, of, of art on your wall, right? And I have to ask you, what's this worth? Well, it's, it's worth at least a few hundred rand for the material. Canvas, the frame, the paint, the artist's time and work. It's worth a few hundred rand. Great. It's a small piece of painting. So maybe it's worth less now because it's smaller than what you thought. But then you see it's quite old because it's an older piece of painting or maybe it's even worth, worth, worth less than that. Or... Maybe it's worth a bit more. Maybe it's a classical piece, but it's looking like it needs a bit of repair. But then all of a sudden you notice in the bottom corner there's a signature. And let's say that signature happens to be Leonardo da Vinci. All of a sudden the value of the small piece of old painting has gone from X to a whole lot of money. And then let's say you find out that that painting's name is the Mona Lisa. You realize that painting is pretty much priceless. You've realized the value of something you have, but you don't know what you have. You don't know the value of something until you know what you have. I feel God saying, do you know the gospel that you have? And I think the answer, when we have got to ask the question, well, what is the gospel that I have? It's not what do we have. The answer is, who do we have? When you have the gospel, you don't have a what. You don't have a a message. You don't have a belief or a moral code or a set of laws. You have a person. And that person is Jesus. When you and I have the gospel in our lives, we receive a person and he is Jesus. Scripture says a handful of times, it says that we are in Christ. In fact, it says a few times, it says Christ is in me. And then a lot more, it says, but we are in Christ. When you and I have the gospel, we have this person, Jesus. And then we have to ask the question, well, who is he that I have? And of what value is he? Well, he's the son of God. He's the creator of all things. Made all in him, through him, for him, and for his glory. He came onto this earth as a man to pay a price for you and me. To take away sin and death. To take away condemnation and the wrath of God. He paid a price for you and for me. He came and, 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 and he saved us. We have him. We receive him. The gospel we have is not just a message. It's a Messiah. It's a Savior. So then we have to ask, well, what is he worth to me then? If this is who the gospel is, if this is the person we have, I feel we then have to ask, well, what do I pay for him? And we see in Ephesians that it says, no, no, no. Jesus paid the price for you and me. Grace is given freely to us. But then I, feel, I felt this this week. Is that there is a cost that you and I need to start valuing when we choose Jesus. And the question is, is Jesus worth more than? And I've got a list here. I'm going to run through it very quickly to end this morning. 
And this is the challenge I feel for us. Is Jesus more valuable than your sin? Is Jesus more valuable than your sin? Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to look at the sin that you've had, and Jesus is going to say, if I'm more valuable than that sin, you'll let go of the sin and you'll choose Jesus. Now I'll tell you what, there are some people who choose sin over Jesus. They say, actually, I like this way too much. Jesus, I don't want you. I don't want saving. I don't want forgiving. The sin is just too tempting. The sin is just too good. I don't want Jesus. And so they say, Jesus, actually, my sin is more valuable than you. But for many of us, and I pray for all of us, we'd come to a place where we would see Jesus, actually, sin is death. You are love. You are way more value, Jesus, than the sin that I have. But then when we come to Jesus, Lord and Savior, these questions come up. Is Jesus more valuable than your possessions? Is Jesus of more valuable than the things you have? Or do the things that you have take more of your life, more of your energy, more of your passion than Jesus? Is Jesus more valuable than your time? Is coming to church and life group and uh, being part of church community, is coming to prayer, is worshiping him, is a quiet time with Jesus, not as valuable as your time. You might say, Jesus, I don't have time for a quiet time in the morning. Well, you've just declared what's more valuable. Your time is more valuable than Jesus. Lord, I don't have time to come to church on Sundays because I've got so much work waiting for me. Well, you've just declared what is of more valuable to you. What is of more value? It's your time. Is Jesus more valuable than your comforts? If following and obeying Jesus takes away your comforts, what is more valuable? This is getting uncomfortable right now, I'm pretty sure. Is Jesus more valuable than your plans and your dreams? Jesus says, I want you to do this. Lord, that's not my plan. Well, what's more important? Jesus or your plan? And we've got to ask those questions. It's easy to answer it, but the real work is in our hearts. What's more valuable, Jesus or your reputation? Because following Jesus, you might actually have to give up on some of your reputation. People might judge you. They might dislike you. Guys at work might have thought you were the most favorite person there. Then they found out you're a Christian and said, yo, we're not going to invite you anymore to these events. You might lose some reputation, but you might say, that's okay. Jesus is far more valuable than my name. Is Jesus more valuable than your freedom? Is Jesus more valuable than your life? Now, I'm not trying to make this a guilt trip at all, but I just felt this. When reading this passage, you see the disciples are asked that question, what is more valuable to you? Your freedom, your life, your reputation, your comforts, your possessions, your plans. And they look at it and they see all the things that they have and they see Jesus and say, Jesus, it's you. You are far more valuable than all these things. And so, Lord, I choose you. And I just feel that God would ask of us day to day, we're going to have to answer this question day after day. He's going to say, who are you going to obey? Who are you going to follow and who will you see as more value? Will it be Jesus or will it be your life? And when I say life, I mean everything I've just mentioned above. What is of more importance? Jesus is calling us church to still be the church with the same mandate and call to take the name of Jesus to wherever we can. Because he is the word of life, capital L. You saw it in the passage. He is the word of life. This is our mandate, and it's going to challenge your comfort. It's going to challenge your positions. It's going to challenge your reputation. It's going to challenge your time, your energy. It might challenge your freedom, and it may even challenge your life. But I'm telling you now, when you do the maths, you're going to find out what you have in Jesus is far more valuable than all other things. And so church... Let's follow the example of these apostles. And no matter what comes our way, we say, Jesus, you are far more valuable than all these. And I, here's the challenge. I've said this a few times, but I'm talking to myself here. I don't want to just nod my hand and say, yes, Lord, I get it. No, I don't get it. Because my lifestyle doesn't show that I've got it. 
If you value something, your energy, your time, and your passion will go towards it. If you value, and if I value Jesus above all other things, Lord, may I see it in my heart. May I see it in my life. May there be fruit of that.